Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone. It is Michael Anthony Ingram, as you know. Tonight, I will be joined by poet Linda Edilus. She hails from South Texas, and the title of her debut collection is The Carcass Undressed. Welcome to the program, Linda. Hi, Dr. Ingram. Thank you so much for having me here today. Well, I'm glad you're here, too. Let's begin this journey, all right? Mm-hmm. All right. Linda, what is poetry? So poetry for me is the way that we are able to examine little moments and expand their life significance. I feel like we move um, very quickly in this world and we don't take a lot of time to reflect um, and we don't take a lot of time to think. Um, and I think poetry is one of those things that really makes you slow down um, and think about the world. Wow. In over 200 guests, I've never heard anyone talk about poetry being examining the little moments and slowing down. Tell me more about that concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that really spurred my writing was observing other people and observing what other people did and kind of wondering what their motivations were. So one, uh, wondering, do I see little moments and expand, expand them into bigger moments when I'm writing? Um, so it's, mm-hmm. it's also an exercise in the human condition and what it means to be um, a human being, especially today. Especially today, why is that important to you? This is the second time you mentioned what's happening right now. Why is that important? Well, I mean, I feel like everybody probably has been talking about the pandemic in every mm-hmm. form of media uh, for the past two and a half years. Um, but I feel it's it, it can it kind of go on it cannot go on said to acknowledge the fact that the lack of um, the lack of commitment to the arts has made it yes. to where the past couple of years has really shown why um, there is so much carelessness in the world and there is so much detachment and apathy. Um, and I think the lack of access to art, appreciation of art, is a big um, is a big influence on that. Um, having worked in education for for the past seven years, um, I can tell you that it's always been a secondary form of education, um, mm-hmm. and it's never been seen as something that is tangible or that it has a, a, a tangible benefit uh, that is applicable. Um, but then the pandemic happened, and then we realized that we really do need human connection and that we really do need community and that we do need other forms of communication that are nonverbal. Um, and that this is where poetry really brings a lot of those emotions to to the core. Wow. You know, it's funny. I think you've answered my next question. Why is it important? <laughs> and the things that you shared <laughs> fit that definition perfectly, fit that question perfectly. Linda, what are some of the predominant themes of your work? Um, a lot of it is just the reaction of the body to different kinds of pain um, and the way that the body processes the world that it lives in. Um, that's been one of the most prevalent themes of my wor- in my work so far. Uh, but it's also, you know, in terms of style, I'm very much a confessional poet. Um, I'm very much a freestyle, free verse. 
I don't like to be constrained by rhyme, even though I do use it sporadically. Uh, but mm-hmm. for me, and it, it's a lot of freedom, freedom is in, in stream of consciousness, essentially. All right. Let's focus on Caucus Undressed. First, tell me about the title. Yeah, so that this title comes from uh, the, uh, one of the poems in the collection on the section called The Heart, uh, called The Arts of, Attac- uh, of Attraction. Um, and this is actually really funny. I, uh, a lot of these poems were written when I was in college. And back then, I had only been in the United States for about five years or so. Because um, my first language is actually not English, it's Spanish. I lived in Mexico mm-hmm. until I was until I was 15, um, and then I came to live here. And um, <laughs> I was thinking about the concept of a carcass of something, a body that is mangled, that undresses itself to reveal what's underneath. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that's really what embodies the. Um, the body of work that I'm presenting in this collection. All right. So in terms of this collection, your inspiration specifically was what? So for this collection, it was just the body. What is the body? Mm -hmm. What is the body carry? So that's why I have it in about three sections, the body, the bones, and the heart. Uh, because, again, the body processes, different parts of the body will process pain um, and love and loss very differently. Yes. Yes. Now, the cover itself is quite striking. Tell me more about it. What was the process for developing the cover? Yeah, well, this was made by a really, uh, really good friend of mine from – since we were in, I want to say, high school, um, and they're mm-hmm. a graphic designer uh, back in my home country, and I gave her, I gave them a few reference pictures, but what I wanted, I wanted something really simple, really abstract. Um, I didn't, I, I wanted something that would represent some kind of duality or some kind mm-hmm. of multiplicity, uh, which I think it's. Uh, really speaks about, uh, you know, the, the, the three sections of my work. All right. Please share a poem. Linda, are you there? Yes, I'm here. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Please share a poem. Yes. So right now I'm going to be reading. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was like, what? what's going on? Um, I'm going to be reading Mud. Um, and this is a poem that was um, kind of inspired by getting stuck in the dirtiness of it all. So I'm going to just leave it like that um, so to not give much away. Uh, So here goes, mud. When a God promises life everlasting, all that taunts me is the blowing punch that bruises and tears you apart in the name of time. For once I want to stay still, dig my feet in the earth and claim it mine, muddled up and hanging out of frame. The dirt under my fingernails tells quite the mad woman's story. The thought of it of sinking into the hearth at hell's opening brings more warmth than the fire itself. Deliver me to evil, they say. The mud is up to my waist and I've lost my footing. I think my legs just screw away from me. If only the mind were to do the same. When a God promises life everlasting, all that haunts me is the promise of patience that wears the bone and splinters arteries in the name of love. Thank you. Wow. Very nice. You know, I believe in the importance of hearing a poem twice. So I'd like you to share it again, if you don't mind. Sure, absolutely. Um, Here it is again, mud. When a God promises life everlasting, All that taunts me is the blowing punch that bruises and tears you apart in the name of time. 
For once I want to stay still, dig my feet in the earth and claim it mine. Muddled up and hanging out of frame, the dirt under my fingernail sells quite the mad woman's story. The thought of sinking into the hearth that hell's opening brings more warmth than the fire itself. Deliver me to evil, they say. The mud is up to my waist and I've lost my footing. I think my legs just grew away from me. If only the mind were to do the same. When a God promises life everlasting, all that haunts me is the promise of patience that wears the bones and splinters arteries in the name of love. Thank mm. you. Talk more about the purpose of that particular piece. What were you attempting to say, to share? So this is probably one of those uh, situations where you're, you're in too deep to see the promise of good on the other side. This is about being in a situation where you feel stuck, where you feel like your mind is your your mind and your spirit have like walked away from your body, but physically you're in a place that you don't want to be. Um, so I think this is more about um, how the promise of patience is wearing you out, how um, the promise of love and the promise of life everlasting it's not enough um to keep you unstuck wow that's deep <laughs> linda yeah. oh <laughs> that's deep <laughs> what i'd like you to do <laughs> we're going to go back in time tell me about yeah. an early experience where you learned that poet language had power I'm sorry, can you, can you repeat that question again? I'm getting yes, of, of course I can. Of course I can. Tell me about an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power. Yes. So I think that would be when I was about I want to say eight years old. Um, I was living in Mexico and I was asked to write a poem for Mother's Day. That was my first, my first writing job, if you will. Um, and it was, I was tasked to write about how I felt about my mother. Um, and, you know, at the time I'm eight years old, my mother is the best person in the world. Um, and I wrote a very heartful poem that I wish I still had. Um, mm -hmm. and having that, having my mother read that to me, read that over to me and say, and just, you know, realizing that not only did I have this love for her, but I made the time to actually put it into something that was beautiful. And I think that's exactly what the poetic language does is that it brings beauty, um, your feelings and makes it wow. and makes it into something a little more with something more you know, more depth yes i agree and when you talk about feelings we're talking about emotions as well now i yes. know that the themes of your book about motherhood mental illness relationships identity as you mm -hmm. share these things permeate throughout the book which means mm -hmm. that there's a lot of emotion involved all right yes my question is, can a person be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? See, this is, uh, this is where um, I would say I deviate a lot from the classical poetry movement because uh, in terms of poetry, in terms of my formal preparation in writing, it's always been detach yourself from the speaker, detach yourself from the subject. And in terms of poetry, you cannot detach feeling because feeling is feeling an emotion and the human condition is at the core of poetry. Um, so I think you cannot 
have to be in touch with them somehow. They don't have to be necessarily very strong emotions uh, mm -hmm. because sometimes just cling emotions are okay. Um, yes. But I think just being in touch with your emotions, not completely detaching yourself, makes mm -hmm. for a more effective poet, in my opinion. Right. It was a very controversial topic because some people believe the other, that you don't need to express emotions truly to be a, a good poet. But let's move on, all right? Mm -hmm. all, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours, and what makes them great in your eyes? So, obviously, Sylvia Plath. She's, she's my number one girl. Um, I have immense um, respect for her and what she went through and her talk of mental illness and her poetry, but I'm also a really big fan of Gwendolyn Brooks, um, Sharon Olds, Adrian Rich. Um, I primarily read women writers. <laughs> this probably, probably, probably already realizing that, uh, but I also like um, Theodore Roski and William Carlos Williams, uh, but I really like mainly contemporary 20th century uh, poets. All right. What I'd like you to do is to please share another poem. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay. So the next poem I'm going to read is called A Child is Always a Blessing. This is a poem that I wrote uh, when um, I was about 22, and this is in response to watching a family member of mine have a child. A child is always a blessing. Where there was a stack of books now lies dirty toys, a half-eaten meal specially formulated for your picky eater who speaks in half sentences. My mother says you are frustrated and the world demonizes you for daring to not love your child. I once heard there are two types of motherly love, the one that inexplicably invades every part of your existence, the one of the selfless category, and the one that meets the benchmark, pays the bills, clothes and feeds, that one that is born out of obligation. You quietly accepted the rest of your life as your womb accommodated its one and only guest, forced to wear it as a punishment, to hear and see the sight of contempt, live with the shame printed on your father's face. I know you never wanted any of this. Even the air it suits envy when I get to give it back to play for a few hours, to not see what it really is like. But I watch you from the oak tree, knowing that you will never join me, always being reminded of your mistake seeping in unspoken regret. The child screams from the other room, the phone buzzing with a dinner invitation. Again, the loose-fitting mask of motherhood comes on, underneath the person I used to know, branded with the scarlet title of unloving mother, always on the brink of letting out a long and smothered cry. Thank you. Wow. Impressive. How do your poems develop, Linda? If you can, guide us through the stages of a poem. Not the mechanics, just the stages of development. Yeah, so usually it, it will start with a concept or a word. Um, so one of the things that I used to do a lot when I was in college um, as I was trying to develop my poet, poetic prowess, if you will, is um, that I also need to get better at English. So I used to just pick up dictionaries, pick up random books of poetry, pick a word, find out what that word means, and then make a poem around that, around whatever that word means. Um, however, in this case, um, it's usually because I see something when I think I'm not being seen. Um, so in this case, I was watching somebody taking care of their child, and I could tell 
they they really did not like the kid and they did not want to be there. Um, and right. that and that really that really did it for me. So it was a little glimpse of when the mask comes off uh, that makes it that makes it so where I can start with something. Right. Please share another poem. Yes. I will go ahead and read. Okay, this next poem is in print. Um, this poem has no explanation because it came to me in a dream, and I'm going to leave it at that. Um, so here it is, Tulips in print. Darling, I wouldn't have used a kitchen knife to slice the throat of the lover you barely knew. Was that an immediate death? I wonder if your dress got splashed. Blood clots won't go with tulips in print. Darling, in the middle of your madness, do you drone in sadness like I did? It choked slowly in sulky bitterness. You might have thought a serial number and rope suited you best. You look beautiful equally in a tulip printed dress and puff sleeves, in a collarless robe and metal mouth. At noon, you let them take you, call them soldiers of blood, that they wanted yours as much as you wanted his. You went mad and embraced it as a child of your own despair. Let it grow out of your eyes. You sing when the bells don't sound. And even when you cannot be seen, in the air I breathe your lunacy. Last time I saw you, you were clutching to the balcony, body and limbs and skin almost one with the wind, encased in hard liquor's mind. So let the drunken fall be dull, you said, and roll over to the window, onto the air, onto the wooden bench, into the flesh-graced earth. Thank you. Wow. Is a poem, <laughs> Linda, <laughs> letting your guard down or building a wall? For me, it's letting my, letting my guard down. I think it's one of the most um, intimate expressions that I personally can give is it's through poetry. Mm. Does it hurt you to write poetry? And if not, why not? And that's that's not I mean, literal. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, I know. I'm not I mean, paper cuts maybe, but um oh. in terms of actual hurt, I would say it does become emotionally taxing to write about things when you are a person like myself. I'm I classify myself as being highly sensitive and I feel people's feelings. I, I tend to, if somebody, if I see a child riding on the street, I get sad. So it can be very emotionally testing um, to write. And it's, it's something that I have to give a lot of thought to because uh, mm -hmm. I tend to write during times of intense stress, um, which, you know, not the most ideal um kind of circumstances to write when, when your life is falling apart. Um, that's actually where my best work has come from, oh, right. where I'm not, not really doing well in ever, anything else. Um, so a lot yes. of my writing comes from not having a great time. Um, mm -hmm. But as I've gotten older, one of the things that I've learned to do is, you know, writing does not have to be painful. Writing poetry does not have to be um, such an intensively Passing experience as it, as, it, as it was in the past for me. Right. Now, has a poem you've written ever humbled or frightened you? Um, so I have a poem that goes to school wedding photograph on my collection. Mm -hmm. I'm not reading it today, but I think it's one of those pieces that I that really humbled me in terms of the response it had, mostly because it was the first time I wrote about something that was completely out of my depth. 
um, incompletely out of the the experiences that I had ever had. Um, so I wrote about a wedding. I wrote about somebody that was getting married to somebody who they clearly did not want to be married to. Um, in that, you know, you have a third person in the midst, and that was where I realized that I could write something that was not just raw emotional content. Mm-hmm. I understand. Well, let's take a brief okay. break, and we'll be right back. We are back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Linda Egilus. Linda, am I Linda? Yes. Hold on one second. Am I Linda? <laughs> here we go. Linda, I had you outside hey. in the waiting room. How are you? <laughs> hey, I wonderful. was wondering. I was like, hey, I'm sitting here. <laughs> I had you in the waiting room. <laughs> well, good, to, good, to, good to know that you didn't forget about me. No, and, and I want to share with you the reason I did that, put you in the waiting room, is that Sometimes I forget to share with a poet that it's important to stay quiet during the short musical break because everybody can hear what you're saying in the background. Because on occasion, a couple of occasions, I've had poets start cursing when they couldn't find the poem. Oh. <laughs> so oh, from no. that point on, <laughs> it was so funny. So from that point forward, <laughs> I shared with everybody, if I remember. <laughs> Please stay quiet. <laughs> noted. You know, noted. <laughs> there we were laughing. But there's so many things in this world that makes it tough to laugh, to laugh. We live in a world where so much is happening. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the indifferent. So, Linda, Mm -hmm. what is the role of a poet in modern-day society? I think our role is to point out that meaning is there. Um, and I think this is kind of an ongoing theme that I'm going to be exploring in my next collection is that mm-hmm. there is, there might not be the meaning that you're looking for, but there is a meaning. Um, and I think one of the responsibilities of a poet right now is to help people understand what they're feeling and help people understand even the indifference, because uh, sometimes it can be really difficult to process that, um, that level of burnout and apathy um, that we have been seeing, that can also be really hard for people to process. So I think the poet's responsibility is to bridge that, um, that divide between what is actually going on inside and bringing it forth in a way that can make a meaningful impact. Mm. Our internal functioning seems to be very important to you. Why? Well, I, I guess I would say as somebody who experiences mental and emotional pain in a very physical yes. way, um, mm-hmm. 
I tend to, so I care a lot about what happens with the body just because I grew up in a culture that pretty much says any kind of pain has to have a physical explanation. It is, the emotional pain does not exist. Depression does not exist. Anxiety mm. does not exist. And that's been something that I've been grappling with. And, you know, poetry was a way for me to deal with that for a very long time. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And now with this ongoing acceptance of pain, um, not, you know, non-physical pain or physical pain due to mental anguish, I think it's mm-hmm. really important to point back that that pain is also valid and that pain is also debilitating um, because I... I can I, I can tell you as a I'm a working professional poetry is not my full time job. So yes. having a nine to five is it's kind of grueling and I do not recommend it to a lot of people sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we live we live in a world where like we just take for granted what our body goes through in order for us to just exist um, and just to be here. Um, and I think the poet's responsibility is to make space for that. Wow. That was truly, I enjoyed what you shared because one of my questions ordinarily is, do you find any connection between your health, physical, elemental, and your relationship with poetry? And I think you answered that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, one of the one of the reasons why I love Sylvia Plath is because she she was depressed out of her mind, and she. I remember the first time I read her, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, she gets it. She does." Um, I'm not mm-hmm. the only person that feels like the world is crumbling, um, and that really made it to me that this was a space where. Those, that kind of emotion was not only welcome, but it was nurtured. Wow. Please share another poem. Yes. So next, uh, next up is Paperweight. Um, and Paperweight is exactly what it sounds like. What is exactly holding everything on? Paperweight. Sometimes I feel you slipping through my fingers. Down comes the thread I wrapped you around. For safety, I said. But there's no crack or the smell of stiff flesh. I realized you were weightless all this time. You never knew any other way. Slowly untangling myself, remembering how each knot feels releasing my veins back into my limbs. The paperweight that kept everything packed, everything intact, breaks and it's not sparks that fly, but an exasperated sigh. And I'll get put back together again, breathed out, but not enough to gag. I promise, no surprises this time. Thank you. Wow. As you think back, beautiful, beautiful. As you think back, because you're extremely talented, I love your work. What would, it, what would you tell your younger writing self if you could tell your younger writing self anything? Yes, you are that talented. I will probably tell myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> nothing, nothing like I'll believing in be yourself. If you don't choose your own horn, who else will? <laughs> I'll be like, yeah, you're really good. <laughs> um, I like that. But I would, also, I would also tell them to just, you know, don't look at other what other people are doing and focus on the cracks that you are creating. Because um, I think at that point, uh, if I think about like 10 years ago, I was 21 um, and I was in college. I was doing my little poetry minor um, and I was very happy. And 
You know, I didn't originally pursue a career in literary arts because I'm an immigrant and we go to school to, for careers. Um, we don't get to have the luxury of, you know, going to school for the love of learning. And um, I would probably tell Linda 10 years ago, just do it for the love of learning and see what happens. Um, mm. Because I feel a lot of the arts right now are just so, uh, and that's something that I, I constantly, consistently have an issue with, is that these spaces of um, the fine arts are so inaccessible and they're so, um, there, there's so many structures in place to keep people like me out um, mm -hmm. that it's been really, it, I mean, it was really hard back then um, because I didn't feel completely accepted by the community. I didn't know anybody. Uh, but I would mm -hmm. probably tell, tell Linda back, back then, the, no, you really are good. People just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've already answered so many of my questions because another question that I usually ask is, how privileged is poetry? Is it accessible to the masses? Oh, my goodness. Uh, no, it's not. Um, and, you know, it's one thing to – academia in general is just inaccessible, but I think – Poetry, you know, when you think of poetry, you think about a bunch of white people sitting in um, a room with cigars and maybe a fireplace, yes. and they're wearing mm -hmm. tweed, and they're reading out of this really old book and laughing and drinking scotch. And, you know, I never saw myself in those circles, and and it, it also seems like there's a lot of privilege in being able to devote your career to poetry. Um mm -hmm. Because, you know, my, my, always my question every time I saw somebody that was going to get an MFA or that was doing a lot of unpaid internships in, in writing and publishing was, uh, what the hell are they getting the money to, to live? Because um, mm -hmm. for me, when you don't have that kind of like social and cultural and, you know, financial capital to like make it, it, it it's really hard to choose to do something like poetry, for example. Um, because mm -hmm. it seems like art is for the rich. Um, and I think, yes. and I'm, I'm really looking forward to reclaiming, um, that narrative, especially with what I see from a lot of, um, younger people right now on the internet is that like people are really reclaiming art for what it is, which is ours. It's everybody's. Mm, yes. I like the way you think. I like Thank you. you think. <laughs> I really do. You know, I used the word just a couple of seconds ago, accessibility. So why don't we talk about yeah. accessibility in terms of meaning of a poem? And my question is, how hard should one have to work to solve a poem? So I don't know if work is the right um, is the right word. I think it's how much mental energy <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. will it okay. take to understand? Because um, I feel like having to work on the meaning of a poem just sounds like, oh, it's homework and I'm just being assigned. But, you know, there's, um, I mean, deliberately, there's so many poems um, like Allen Ginsberg, for example, that just take me a little bit more time to understand than others um, that are more structured like Walt Whitman. Um, but I think it's just different kinds of mental energy, but I think, I don't think it should take a lot. I think poetry, like education should be on all levels, uh, and in all tiers and levels of access. You know, actually I just changed that question from what I just said about how hard should you work to, should one employ a lot of mental energy to solve a poem? So thank you. you. Thank you Look for assisting you. me. <laughs> I like that. Thank you. See, you're teaching me something. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Please share another yeah, poem. It's the it's it's educator. It's the educator in me. I'm always thinking about, like, what exactly are people getting out of this? Right. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to share another poem? Oh, yes, I couldn't hear you for one second. Okay, okay. yes, I am right. going to share right. another poem. Um, this Thank next you. poem is called uh, What's Left to Conquer, and this is about finding yourself at a crossroads. And watch, and you know, in the words of Robert Frost, which path will you take? What's Left to Conquer? Suppose everything is in its place, the strange feeling of contentment slowly crawling its way inside, out of your reach, taking root. Suppose the violent rush of wind becomes a breeze, the feel of untimely death taken away from other skin. How do you run away from something beautiful? How do you go about destroying what's left to conquer? Knowing the next step escapes you with a laugh, wanting to bask in stillness pieces by faintly brushing your fingertips. It is a feat to find comfort in everything being out of grasp, in the only sure thing being you, out of breath, standing on the cusp of this very moment, air compressed and moving. The question remains, and it keeps me thinking, if I should learn to keep running far or conquer all that's left. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. You've written the book, Caucus Undressed. And writing a book is never easy. It's easy for some and not so much not so easy for others. And one of the parts of writing a book, as you know, is the editing. So some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it. While others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on the editing process? I think there is always a benefit in going back and seeing what you have produced with new eyes. Um, I definitely went through some editing with uh, my pieces, especially because a lot of them were written when I was very young. And I, as I said, the, the English part, some of those, some of the syntax was a little weird, and I was maybe I was trying to pass it off as a, as an artistic choice back then. But now I realize that it, it probably wasn't. Um, but yeah, I think it's. I mean. Again, this is the educator in me. I'm like, oh, yes, continuous improvement. You should always strive to get better. Um, and I think that's true for uh, for poetry because my poems are never – it's not that they're never quite finished, but they're, they're, they can, there can always be some polishing done every once in a while uh, because what I wrote maybe five years ago, maybe there's a line, there's a concept that does not accurately reflect my craft, um, and maybe mm. that needs to be revised, um, and that's okay. Wow. Again, nicely stated. Let's take a brief break, <laughs> and we'll be right back. Now, remember, stay quiet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> favorite people. Hello. <laughs> You've become one of my favorite people. I like your forthrightness as well as your authenticity, which leads to your honesty. I like that very, Thank very much. You. Thank you. I really yes, appreciate that. Yes. Now we've reached a part of the program that I view as my personal favorite. I call it a mini 
poetry concert where you'll share three poems back-to-back, and I won't ask you any questions in between. Would you do that for me? Okay. All right. Yeah, I can do that. All right. So let's see. So the next poem is called To the Woman Who Replaced Me on the Left Side of the Bed. Pretty self-explanatory. You will notice he sleeps like a gargoyle, stone-faced with yesterday's rumination. A hole sits feet of immobility laid out on the edge of the bed, most likely, with almost imperceptible breathing. And you will admire him as one admires the feathery strokes on Amonet. You will fall in love with how he plays guitar with the same fingers used to caress your inner thighs. His name will swirl around in every conversation and make you wonder, if you are the center of his life, why do you feel your nails scratching the edge? You should also know he will hang up before you even say goodbye and will never kiss you with tenderness. Recycling is his favorite pastime. I have seen songs and poems and phrases with the inscription scratched out, your name on top of it. Notice how he will drop everything to run to you, but also to run away. And how he is cautious when looking at you in the eye. He will carve you with exceptional marvel in every sense. And will never bother, you, bother to ask you how you are in the morning. Oh, and how he will adore you once and will envision you bathing in perfection. The same he will strip away without diluting the glue first, as he is the maker of all great things, and he made you what you are and will be. With a firm upper hand, the mold will be taken away. For him to watercolor his hopes on another imagined goddess, scribbling over inscriptions, rotating halos until finding the perfect fit, I can tell you step by step how to see it coming, the imminence of it all. But how could I tell you too, if I too feasted on his lie? Thank you. Wow. Do you think you were meant to be a poet, Linda? Did I meant? Did I mean to be? Do, yeah. Do you think you were meant to be a poet? Yes. Um, Tell me more. I think I was meant. To, yeah. Um. I. I think ever since. I mean, I. I. I was that kid in when I was eight years old when I first got a computer, um, and it was you know before we had dial-up internet, and it was my joy to have my personal word document where I used when I where I learned how to type, and I was just writing poems about things that I didn't know and love that I had not yet felt, but it felt, it felt so good to be able to express myself in such a way. So yes, I think I was mm-hmm. meant to be, to be a poet, maybe not a famous All one, right. but I was meant to be one. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> how would you classify your ability to write poetry as a creative gift or a creative art? I think it's part of both. I think I do have quite a lyrical sense um, and a talent for lyrical poetry. Um, But I think I also acknowledge the fact that I am not, I wouldn't be the writer I am today had I not had the time to, you know, refine my craft through Mm -hmm. workshops and learning opportunities. I'm I'm a lifelong learner. So for me, learning about who came before me and, you know, why we write the way we write is really important. So I think it's kind of a combination of the two. It's the things that I innately have always enjoyed and known how to do. Um, Mm -hmm. But also, you know, all of the opportunities I've had to learn how to be better at this. Oh, wow. Very nice. Very nice. Now, if you were a poet, during a different era, when or mm-hmm. where would you have wanted to exist? I would say the 70s. 
Um, oh, oh, really? <laughs> Why? <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> you because of disco? I, mean, <laughs> I went, okay, so it's really hard for me. It's really hard for you when people ask me, like, and, and, and this is probably for you too. Like, if you were in the past, where would you want to be? And I'm like, ask me. Right. I've a lot of places. Um, mm-hmm. But if I was, a, let's say, if I was a, if I was a white lady, yes, the '70s mm-hmm. in New York, I think it was a great time. Um, right. I think it was a time of inner self-exploration, um, and there was a lot of counterculture movements, and I think that's where. I probably will thrive. I, I feel like I will probably be traveling around the country in some some van uh, with flowers <laughs> in my hair or something like that. All right. Writing poetry on parchment paper. All right. <laughs> Beautiful answer. <laughs> in terms of caucus, <laughs> in terms of caucus, you were not even born in the seventies. <laughs> I mean, if you I were, know, you, I know, even I, was, I wasn't even a thought, not even near but, it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny to me. I was already working a full time job. <laughs> okay, okay, enough about me. Enough about me. Let's <laughs> focus. All right. <laughs> As you think about caucus undressed, what did you learn about yourself writing the book? Who are you as a result of writing the book? So I think the caucus undressed was um, a culmination of what I what I want to say my first face as a writer, um, because it really encompasses my growth as a poet um, since I started writing. And it is a more formalized way for me to, for me, when people ask me, Hey, you write poetry, what are you, what are you write? I can be like, I write this. Um, and I think for me, it's just a, a work, a work of love for my, for the things that I known to be true, which is I am good at writing and mm-hmm. I do not need to go I don't need to go to a big publishing house and get like be making tons of money for me to have my book out there um and communicate exactly who I am and where I want to be so I think for me it's more like hey here's the history of little baby Linda Poet and the foundations of what I hope my work will be in the future and I think wow. it did change me. It did change me well, because I was, I mean, I, I was living in Austin. I was living in Austin when I started, you know, publishing this. And now I, yes. I don't live in Austin. Mhm. Mhm. Well, with that in mind, what surprised you most about the process? Um, I was kind of, I was surprised with how much people liked it. Um, and I guess that mm-hmm. kind of speaks to like. Maybe it's low self-esteem or something, but I was just kind of saying, you know, I always had this kind of impression that, like, nobody's really interested in poetry. Nobody wants to publish it. Why should I even bother? This is not for me. But I think it was really a really reassuring uh, process to be in a space where um, my talent was appreciated and also, how little things have changed since I last looked up how to publish a book. Uh, things mm-hmm. are, you know, besides Amazon, things really have not changed. I'm really looking forward to see, um, especially with the resurgence of short-form media content, like seeing if we have a way to communicate um, art forms such as poetry to the masses. Because I feel like we have a lot of, there's a lot of power there. Um, and there's a mm-hmm. lot to do there um, in order to bring the arts back to younger audiences instead of saying, like, you know, the arts are something that you learn because you have to graduate. Uh, but give, mm-hmm. it, give them the space and the respect that they deserve. Wow. Short form media. Wow, I've never heard that title before, that, those words before. I'm old, man. Yeah, I mean, that's like a way of saying TikTok. <laughs> you don't know anything about a payphone, I'm sure. 
<laughs> I do. I get you. So I know, like, I'm, I'm, it's really funny because I'm in that cusp between I'm, I've used, I've used dial-up internet and I've used um, <laughs> pay phones and everything like that. But I also have been on the internet since I was eight. So okay, it's, that's it's a little strange to know both. <laughs> All right. You know, I think you've answered my next question and just a minute ago. The question is, writers and poets write for a myriad of reasons. Some write primarily to speak a message to their audience. Others write because to stay silent is not an option. Why do you write? And this is probably expanding on what you've already said, I believe. I think – so I write – because that is the one way I am able to get that is one of the ways that I speak. Um, that's one of the ways, mm. that's one of the main ways that I communicate. And, you know, having grown up as an, a second language speaker, writing has always been a lot easier for me to navigate because um, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of shame behind the pronunciation if I, if I say things wrong. Um, and honestly, for me, a lot of people thought I was a lot more sophisticated because I was writing in, in such good English. But, um, okay. yeah, I kind of lost my train of thought there. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. You know, I'm wondering, if you had to convince a friend or colleague, follower to purchase Caucus Undress, what would you tell them? This is not the poetry you think it is. <laughs> um, uh, because, again, you know, um, I, if, I, if I were to talk to somebody who has never, like, re- read poetry, like, I know exactly what they think of poetry. They think of the iambic pentameter. They think of Shakespeare. Um, they think of, you know, things that make, make them feel dumb um, and that make them inadequate. And I want to say... That's, that doesn't have to be true all the time. Um, and, for example, I like to uh, compare um, song lyrics to poetry. Mm-hmm. So they're like, you know, the songs we sing, the mm-hmm. rap lyrics that we like to hear, those are all written words, and that's a form of art, that's a form of poetry. Um, mm-hmm. And poetry does not always have to be inaccessible and I would like to think that my book brings a little more relatability and it makes it a little more accessible to other people. Wow. <laughs> Great. <laughs> you speak with such conviction. So powerfully. What is the relationship Thank between you. your speaking voice? What's the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? Yeah, you know, that's a question that I've been thinking about, that I've been thinking about as you sent me um, the preview questions, because I was just like, hmm, that is, that is a really, really good question, because for me, my speaking voice is usually a lot angrier um, Mm -hmm. in terms of my poetry. Like, my speaker is always the one that's going through it. Is somebody in the midst of chaos? Is somebody who's like talking from the trenches and talking from um, speaking from the other side of the veil, um, if you will? And in terms of my written voice, it's more of that like the um, omnipotent narrator, um, as you can see in some of those pieces, where it's more of an observer, it's more of an of an spectator. Wow. You know, we're almost at the end of our journey together, but I'd like you to share two more poems, if you will. I'd love that. Yes, that would be wonderful. Yes, so next up is Exotic, and this is based on uh, one of my, some of my experiences at college. A girl in my Spanish class told me she was going to spend Christmas in Mexico, Cancun to be exact, turquoise water, crystal sand. And she asked me if I've ever been. I said, no, I haven't. And she went on to say how my land is magic, like glow sticks being shaken in the dark, and that I was also lucky to have been born there, 
where everything is just so interesting, so exotic. Some consider my land the epitome of warmth and friendliness. Smiles disappears by, disappear by the AK-47s handed to kids like chili powder-coated candy. Same children who trip over rolling heads because the silver platters are running out. Let me make you forget why burgundy is the color we know best. It's viscosity while oozing out of a severed limb. Your backyard is on fire, but it keeps your children warm. But what about mine? Asked the woman who was a mother once. A little fairy dust, screwdrivers for breakfast. Doesn't matter where it's from. What matters is that it's here. Super world ashtray, centerpiece, centerpiece of the perpetual frat party. Scented candles, dim lights, the putrid smell of Bernie burning. The hands are washed, no questions asked. <clears throat> so please continue to visit our beaches and enjoy our resorts. Bilingual waders, their turquoise waters and crystal sands. It is lovely, it is warm, the embodiment of heaven on earth. When you come back, tell me about your scuba diving and parasailing, how you heard the sea inside a shell. I'll tell you about my vacation too, and how my family threw themselves on the floor after someone thought it would be a great idea to light fireworks that enter the ear as guns. Thank you. And we have uh, one last poem, and this is called Teeth. Um, this is based on a recurring nightmare that I'm pretty sure a lot of people have, which is your teeth falling out. So writing a poem about that. Teeth. I had a dream all my teeth fell out and my hands caught them before they hit the floor, a lot cleaner than I thought. At least I won't bite my tongue anymore or clench into a tooth chips. My dentist said not to worry, but I worry they don't see the damage. I had a dream all my hair fell out, but my hands were preoccupied with this, these loose teeth, the roots shining. Hair grows back, doesn't it? Strands that have not yet touched or bleached or mangled. Maybe this time I can catch up. I had a dream that my skin slid off, but my arms were holding on to my hair. What became of my body again? When the body keeps score enough times, there's a turning point that becomes a dagger, and some, something's got to give. It's always me. It's always this way. And that's it. What a perfect poem. Perfect poem. I love that. And because we're from different generations, I've got to ask the following question. Sure. Did the Internet and social media contribute to the well-being of poetry? I mean, I think it has given a lot of people who would not otherwise have access to it. Um, I mean, I was on Tumblr when I was younger, and uh, Tumblr poetry was a thing. Uh, a lot of people made fun of it, but I think it made it to where writing poetry doesn't necessarily mean you have to be, quote, unquote, good at it. And who says that you can be good at it, that you have to be good at it in order to be able to write it? Um, so I, I think it I think it does more greater good than it does mm -hmm. harm, in yes. my opinion. Yes. Oh, wow. Very nice. Very nice. We're at the end. And what I'd like to know is where can listeners find your work, Linda? Yes. So you can find me on Instagram at, at Linda Writes Poems. Um, right now, that's my only form of communication with the world, and I would like to keep it that way. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. And where is your book available? You can find my book on Amazon um, right now or on AmazonPeterPress.com. All right. You know, Linda, as we close, I think you are the future of this profession, of this genre. Thank you. I really do. That, Thank you. That I really came to appreciate my, it. 
Well, they came to mind earlier as you were sharing. I was like, she's the future. She's what it should look like. She's what it should be. And I was said to myself, I am so proud of her that she speaks her truth. And she claims, owns herself. I think it's wonderful. Thank you. I, I really, really, do. really appreciate that, Dr. Ingham. What a pleasure to be here today. Yes. Well, thank you. And I wish you nothing but the best. All right? You too. Have a wonderful evening, everybody. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Well, our listening audience, as I share with you every week, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Good night, everybody. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com This episode is made possible by PwC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.